Hey, I'm Daryl Etherington. Welcome to Found, this show on TechCrunch. Show. Took me a while to get that out. Where we (laughs) talk about a different founder every week, a different startup founder and their company. And how great they are, how great their company is, and how bad me and Jordan. (laughs) As usual, I'm here with the days to my confused and my (laughs) beloved co-host. Jordan Crook. Yeah, thank you for that wonderful intro. I would much prefer to be dazed than confused. I can't even take credit for that one. I feel like if there's a clever one, people are going to be like, wait a minute, Daryl didn't come up with that. And I did not come up with that. Maggie, Maggie Stamets came up with that. Yeah, that's Maggie's right. Maggie's the best. Thank God yes, for her. our producer here. So all credit to Maggie. Anyways, found, I already explained. You know what it is. You know why you're here. We talked to a great founder. This week, we have Ross Lipson from Dutchie. One of two brothers who co-founded Dutchie, which surprisingly we only touched on very briefly. We didn't really get into the family dynamics. That's for yeah. a sequel episode of Found yeah. with Ross Lipson. Volume two. Yes, exactly. But anyways, we had a great conversation all about cannabis tech and the world of cannabis in general. And then also about life philosophy, which to be fair, we do talk about fairly frequently on this show. Pretty standard. Yeah. But I think Ross has a a very, uh, everybody has a unique perspective. Ross's perspective is as unique as everybody else's unique perspective, but definitely. (laughs) Are you high? Definitely one you want to hear about. I'm so (laughs) high. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no i'm not but uh anyways we had a great chat and you should listen to it right now and then we'll come back and tell you more about it afterwards hey ross thanks for joining us thanks for having me daryl all right so first things first let's uh explain to the folks listening at home what it is that you do and what Dutchie is Yeah, so Dutchie is a technology platform that streamlines the operations for the dispensaries in the cannabis space. And uh, we do that by focusing on a few core products. Today, it's point of sale for the dispensary. Uh, It's online ordering for the consumer and the dispensary, as well as payments. All right. Yeah. So that makes sense. Like you go into a dispensary and you're like, how did this happen? And basically, it was Dutchie. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, right now, it's a it's a really interesting and fascinating space. So the cannabis space, as we all know, it's very nascent. It just started roughly from the legal markets about five plus years ago. And uh, it's evolving really, really quickly. Um, but there's a lot of red tape. There's a lot of barriers to entry. And we find that the, the operators and the consumers expect the experience that they have in other industries. Right. right? Like what we have when we move, well, when we, we walk into any boutique and buy anything or a restaurant. And unfortunately, right now, just with the nascency and the infancy of the space, the technology is not there yet. So what Dutchie really strives to do is to streamline the operations for the dispensary and create that rich experience for the consumer when transacting with the dispensary. And that's where our technology focus is today. Awesome. That brings up an interesting question for me. Like what came first? Was the problem, did you see the problem out in the market or did you anticipate the problem and kind of like set up solving it ahead of time? Or how did that work for you? So, uh, you know, if I go back to the beginning, the founding story, I previously came from the online food ordering industry and I spent the better half of the last decade there, found some success with a few companies, one in the States, one in Canada. And I was taking a few years off and planted my roots in Oregon, which was one of the first states to legalize cannabis back in late 16, early 17. And I've been a passionate uh, cannabis advocate and consumer myself. I've always seen the opportunity that uh, it would bring to the world and making the world a better place. Uh, Also an economic opportunity for for local communities and this health and wellness benefit that it was bringing the masses. 
So I had a first look at the industry. I remember standing in line the first day of legalization in Oregon, that first hour of legalization. I was in a long line out the door around the corner. And, and I asked the person behind me, I said, what are we going to order? And the answer is we have no idea. <laughs> and, you know, with my background in online ordering in the food space, that's where we started. So our, our, how Dutchie started back in 2017 was an online ordering service, mainly focused on the e-commerce side of the, of the coin to solve giving, really educating the customer on two things. What products were available at the dispensary? Because keep in mind that dispensary's inventory is turning over really quickly. Mm -hmm. It's very dynamic, unlike food where it's a static menu. So it's what, what is available? What can I even order? And then what are these products? They all have these quite ambiguous names. And there's thousands, if not tens of thousands of different types of products, different strains, and it's per batch, right? So right. Uh, it's, it's always evolving and changing. So it's what products are available and what are these products? What's best for me? And that's what we, we first set out to, to solve with online ordering. That resonates a lot with kind of my early experience when it was legalized here in Ontario and going to the state-run stores, right? And being like, I don't know. It's like, give me this thing. I don't know. What do you got? And, and they didn't have very much. It was like uh, famously kind of like a tricky launch for them, a challenging launch for them. And part of it was, and I don't know, I don't know enough about the U.S. market to know if this is true, but maybe you can help me out. But like the supply situation was not what it needed to be to bring all of this stuff online right away. Right. Like it just kind of matured to the point where that that was caught up with it yet right so that was another challenge to it right it's like not only is it not consistent because it's a totally different type of product it's not consistent because you don't know what you're going to have day to day from like a supply challenge perspective right so I, I can imagine it was it was a lot of like growing pains a lot of hard lessons learned i mean <laughs> you know in those early days especially coming from i mean food is similar in that you know it's it can change dynamically depending on availability but it's much more regular, right? So like, did you find that a lot of the lessons you learned carried over? And did you find that you had a lot that you didn't expect that, that you had to learn? Yeah, you know, there's, there's, I think, challenges in all industries, especially in nascent industries that are coming out of the woodworks for the first time. And it was about defining the industry, uh, not necessarily recreating it or innovating on it because it didn't exist. There was right. no foundation laid. So with that, I think naturally comes challenges, but with challenges are opportunities. So that's how we approached it. And to answer your question, there was a lot that we brought over, especially on the, how we run the org. So from we took a lot of learnings from the online food ordering space that did translate well in how we run the business, right? Mm -hmm. Everything from our culture to our operating principles to our framework for strategic, our strategic framework to our success metrics, how we ran talent acquisition and talent management, which are key, key components to all businesses. But then there, and there were similarities in the product and the go-to-market functions, but there was a lot of differences too. Yeah, yeah. And the key for us was simple and still is today. And I think this should reign true with all companies, all industries, is just to listen to your customers. Right. So we spent a lot of those, those early on days and nights, countless hours in dispensaries, working with the staff, understanding the consumer's journey, the pain points and how we could solve them. Um, and that led to, to kind of like the story of Dutchie and how we evolved from there. And I do want to say, Jordan will be proud of me. I didn't even react when you said that you had operated in Canada at all. Ross mentioned Canada and I just let it go. Canada, but Canada, I guess Canada. I ruined all that by Canada. bringing it up now. No, I didn't mention Canada. You mentioned oh, Canada. Well, I mentioned it. You were like, I, oh, by the way, yeah, you were like in Canada or the state. In a different run, context. I, I mentioned it just organically but I was, was going to ruin it even further by also time. mentioning Shopify because, like, so I used to work for Shopify, right? And they had 
the regulator. There we go. <laughs> they had the regulated industry team. And I had, you know, a lot of friends that worked on that team. And that was also very challenging bringing it in there. Right. But you've worked across both. So like, how was that for you? Did you, have you seen, cause there's obviously differences in terms of what's allowed for marketing and for merchandising product. How have you dealt with those? And like on a state to state and even across international borders, like, does that add a lot of complication to, to, to your job? You know, again, I think we, we have this optimistic approach and we see these challenges and these complications as again, opportunities. And, you know, we were able to build for cannabis and, and that's been a really helpful approach um, that we've just been fortunate, right? We're not taking a hor- horizontal play like Shopify or like Square, for example, right. we're trying to repurpose it or recreate it to fit into the cannabis space. Honestly, I think working backwards there, it allowed us to be more efficient from the ground up to listen to the customers and build this tech stack with the customer in mind and the consumer and directly for them without the distraction of any other industry. And I think that's been a competitive advantage for us up until now. I mean, I'm curious too, as a consumer, like, how do you see this evolving and how has it evolved from the start? Like, is it something where you see it becoming a thing where like, there's a lot more regularity or there's a lot more kind of like, there's like big box dispensaries in the future as it becomes like more consistently regulated across states and even federally? Like, do you get to a place where you have a Walmart of of weed or something like that? Or does it remain kind of like the way it is now where a lot of little shops here and there, and I don't, I don't know last time you were in Toronto, but now if you walked on the streets of Toronto, it's literally like one store and then like, okay, maybe there's a bakery in between. And then there's another weed store and they're all individually branded and completely separate from one another. Right. But do you think it's that, is it a million flowers bloom or do we eventually get to a place where it's like, well, I'll go down to the, go down to the Costco for weed or whatever. And, and get your jellies that way. Yeah, I think our space will show, the cannabis space will show the, a similar evolution to other industries in the sense that, yes, I think that will happen, but the consumer population is vast, right? Yeah. So over 70%, I know, of, uh, of, of Americans have, have shown that they're federal and they're, they're all for federal legalization and, and that tend to consume cannabis on a regular cadence. And I think we're finding the similar studies are showing in Canada as well. So the consumer population is wide. And I think that the evolution of these products is, is vast too. There's again, 10,000 plus strains and it's like, they're more and more right. coming out every day. There's more and more brands. There's different ways of growing and manufacturing, distributing and cultivating this product that I think really uh, what we'll see is, yes, there will be a lot of consolidation naturally uh, in all industries and in cannabis. Yeah. And we're already starting to see that, especially in, in, in both Canada and America. However, so we will see some more in air quotes, big box like stores or some consistency along uh, across larger brands with multiple locations with a consistent experience, similar to like at Starbucks. But there always will be this craft local cannabis um, culture, if you will, right. because of the product, the nature of the product, how we consume it, um, and that it's locally grown, right? So it's kind of in a sense, in a weird way, maybe like wine in that case, mm-hmm. or like coffee, right. right? So yeah, there are these Starbucks of the world. But there are also that cater to a demographic and they're happy with that. But then there's others that really like that local craft, uh, more personal touch and feel. So I I think that we're going to see a a wide dynamic range and and kind of span the gamut there for the consumer. So like how does Dutchie and how do you approach because you're talking about like the broad market, right? And you have these folks who kind of like grown up around weed and understand the lingo and understand what like, you know, indica versus sativa and all of these things right and then you have 
an older group of folks, right? Like maybe boomer or Gen X folks who smoked pot a lot and then stopped. And now they're like, hey, it's legal. And that was fun. And like, what? I'm going to do that again. And maybe don't have the same lingo or intel, you know? Like, how do you, because one of the things that you said at the beginning of the podcast was, what are we going to buy? And like, you obviously have been a longtime consumer. So you go into a store and you know what you're looking at. But there are a lot of people who are like new to pot, so to speak. Or right? new back who, to it, like to your point, Jaren, right? Like yeah, for me, or returners. It's like, oh, yeah. I, when I was in high school, like I would go, hey, hey, do you have a joint? And then the guy would give me a and joint. smoke a joint <laughs> and you didn't know what, I it, know was. what it was. You didn't know yeah. anything about it. Yeah, it could have been literal grass. <laughs> and you would have been like, this is amazing. But like, how do you like, because I'm just like bopping around on Dutchie right now, right? And like. If I didn't know anything, I still wouldn't really know what I want. Like, how are you like approaching that as a problem, right? Particularly for those folks who like don't speak the language. Yeah, it's a great question. I think this is arguably the most exciting thing for the consumer right now, if not one of. Uh, and it's the answer is education. So it's not just optional optionality selection. It's it's education. It's understanding what these products are. And I think when we look back, you guys mentioned. Um, you know, I'm 34 years old right now. So 17 years ago, I was in high school and in a similar situation as probably most viewers and, and listeners are were in. Yeah. And we didn't know what it was, but we were okay with it. This is one of the areas of such excitement right now that we get to understand there's a whole level of education and safety. And then we can cater these products, which is increasing the health and wellness benefits because not all products work for everybody. So we could cater these products to us through education. Do I like sativa? That's going to be an upper, an indica, that's going to be a downer or a hybrid that's going to be in the middle. We didn't have that choice in the illicit market days. And uh, now that we have that, we can find. Or you did, but you had to know what you were talking about. Yeah, right? Like you could have not known at all, (laughs) right? right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We can get deeper into it, uh, understanding the grower and the brand and how they grow or the process of which, how they make their edible, their tincture, their topical. And for Dutchie, that's a layer that can provide that education just as much, if not even more so than a bud tender. So we can do it on, on that product page. And we're starting to right now, and we're going to expand on that in the coming quarters and year. So it's understanding you could search and filter by sativa indica hybrid by THC percentage. Do you want something more potent? Something not understanding even the terpene profiles, which goes a whole nother level of, uh, above to understand the taste of the product and actual feel of it. Uh, so there's a lot, there's a lot to do there. Um, and we've just started to scratch that surface. We're really excited to expand on that for the consumer. Ultimately, one day we believe that we could become like a virtual bud tender, not to replace them, but just to enhance the, the, the journey for the consumer when finding the right product for them. So this is an area that we're going to invest in heavily. I guess I'm just like my imagination is going in terms of like who does that job, right? Like, okay, an upper versus a downer, I guess you like kind of understand that, but there's more involved in Indica and Sativa, right? Like one will like get the creative juices flowing and like really more of of a head high than a body high and blah, blah, blah. Like, is there someone like sitting around and just like smoking every strain and being like, okay, I'm gonna write a little bit about how this one made me feel, right? Because I remember like on the illicit market getting little packages that would be like, happy and it would have a bar this long and then it would be like you know munchies and it would have a bar that is this long and like it was like trying to describe the profile in a way that actually made sense to like someone who doesn't know what the northern lights is right and so i'm just like curious about how that actually gets done right like is there a whole department dedicated to it are you looking for a job chart no just joking (laughs) i think there's two there's two areas there i think that you do want the quantitative you want a quantitative and a qualitative kind of a reaction to that. So you want the qualitative from a human that, yeah, 
I think that'd be awesome. And we're working on, so we have pretty rich blog content right now that backs certain products, certain brands. And you take like a, uh, you know, a poll or from, from an actual human using the product through consumption to say, how are you feeling? What's it like? And to write up on it. But it's important to know that's that, that individual's experience. It's like, saying, I love pizza. Do you, you might not. Or I love pepperoni pizza. Right. And I know in Canada, you know, like pineapple is a big thing on the pizza, but that's oh, not, yeah. uh, you know, like that's not happening everywhere. <laughs> it's a pizza. You know, so, so I think that there's two parts to it. The other part is the data set. It's an objective data set that you can look at to really understand these products. And something that I'll, I'll, I'll kind of throw out there is think, well, how we use Spotify or Netflix is a great examples. They cater and, and curate to our individual uh, wants, whether we know it or not, based on what we've watched, probably how long we finished that episode or movie. If we started it and bailed real quick, it's probably deemed as like, we don't like that, that content. Whereas if it's content we like and it's starting to trend, let's show that consumer more content that they're likely to want. So think of a world where you can come to Dutchie in the near future and it'll start curating a, a, a collection of products that are best suited for you based on objective data. Uh, so there's some fun stuff that we, we, you know, are just scratching the surface on in cannabis, especially being a nascent industry. Uh, but the data that's coming back from consumers, from retailers is so rich that allows us to really, really expand on this. And we're excited to. That sounds like to me, like a lot of what has happened in say the wine market. Right. But like, it's funny cause that is an, a, like an ancient market. It's literally like it's existed for so long and, it, and it's been also like consumer friendly for a much longer time, right? Versus the weed market. But like, it sounds like there's so much potential though. Cause you see that market and you see it, if you, if you look at it as an analog, it's like people love that. Like people love it. People very much enjoy establishing their wine profile, finding out what they like, like finding out about the details of new stuff and like figuring out what they're going to like more next. So and to your point too, like alcohol overall, like it's not like a, it doesn't have the wellness connotations that like a uh, marijuana does, right? Like with marijuana, it's like these things have like actual, you know, tangible benefits and scientifically backed benefits for your health and your wellness and your state of mind and stuff like that. But then also this like angle of like, yeah, like it's, it's a, a thing where you have a character and your character relates to the character of the products of the market in a very different way in a very individual and unique way. But also there are like enough shared things that it becomes an interest market too for like hobbyists and things like that. Right. Like it seems like there's so much potential and that's why just when you're talking about that and seeing that profile, like it sounds exciting to me. I'm excited about it, but it does beg questions in terms of how accessible that, like how to get people to the point where it's like, you're providing enough information that we can reasonably provide you back good feedback or like, you know, like how do you get people into the door to begin with to the point where they then later become that person who's like, I'm really interested in this. Right. Yeah. And I think to hit on that, I think you have to offer that wide range for all different, different types of consumers. Cause they're not all bucketed into one area. They're one bucket. You have certain consumers that just, that they know exactly what they want. You want to make it easy for them to find that specific product, that specific brand or that specific retailer. Um, the global search here is really important, right? So no matter which approach you want to take as a consumer, we need to suffice for that approach. We need to provide value to that consumer. So it's, a, it's an area that we want to make sure that, you know, with, with cannabis, there's a, there's a lot of different types of uh, consumers out there and they all take a different approach. Some have no clue. They don't know where to start and we want to help them with that journey and create a safe, trustworthy and consistent experience that they're willing to come back and we can retain that customer. 
give them that experience that is more industry agnostic, right? So um, that's something that we're focused on. And, and a lot of this is, you know, with tech, we have that data layer. And if we understand how to use it, and um, it provides a lot of value, a lot of, a lot of insights on how to shape our product and our, and our journey for our consumer. So I, then just like a follow-on question for that is like, you mentioned the range, right? Like, is it a thing where you thought about like, well, does, does it make sense to have a single brand or a single point of contact for all these different types of customers or do we sort of stratify it where it's like if you're just a general interest consumer for this and then if you get more in depth or more specific or whatever we like come at you in a different way like the brand appears different as a touch point like or do you think that you can do a whole umbrella that serves all of these people well I, I think the approach is an umbrella um, and that's what we're pushing out. Uh, so we have a product and a brand based shopping tool that's coming out soon in the next year. Um, it'll allow you to shop different ways than just retailer, which is the, the, the only option today with Dutchie.com. Uh, so you have to type in your address and, and pick your retailer. But the, the truth is that a lot of consumers want to shop by product, by brand, or even by like health benefit, right? I want to feel a certain way. So we're going to offer that in the coming year in 2022. And we're excited to to launch that. We've done a lot of testing with consumers. It's provided a lot of value to them. So I do think that the answer is that umbrella approach, just being that we have a wide range of you know consumers here and how they approach the space. We want to make sure that we create that experience for all of them. If you're listening to Found, you're probably already super interested in startups and the overall startup ecosystem. So we've got a great deal for you. We're going to offer you 50% off either a one-year or a two-year subscription to Extra Crunch. Extra Crunch is TechCrunch's premium product offering. And when you go there, you'll get deep dive interviews with some of the top founders in the industry. You'll get market maps on specific verticals and some of the most exciting areas of growth in startup land. You'll also get uh, surveys of some of the top VCs in different areas, including different geographies. So you can subscribe to Extra Crunch at extracrunch.com. That's probably the easiest way. Or if you're already on TechCrunch, follow the links for Extra Crunch and you'll get a prompt to subscribe and then just enter that code that's found, the name of this podcast, during checkout and you'll get 50% off on either a one-year or a two-year subscription. How do you think about like defensibility? Because like, you know, at a certain point, it's just like an online portal to buy things, right? Like... And you're you're first, so that's good. But like, what would stop an Amazon or like a Walmart or a Target or someone who's like huge in this space from just coming in and being like, oh, we can do this for cannabis. Like, let's just onboard them. Yeah, you know, it's a great question. So one thing that we always do is intentionally step back and we look at what our mission is. And our mission is to provide safe and easy access to cannabis. So when we see an Amazon, an Uber, a DoorDash, or any of the horizontal large players that have the demand, they have the consumer coming in, they're going to help normalize the space. They're going to help professionalize the space. They're going to bring more attention to the space, hopefully in a, in a good way. And it's going to back our mission of providing safe and easy access to cannabis. So we're all for that. We really do believe as tides rise, all, bo- all boats will rise with it. So we don't see this as a winner-take-all market. We love the idea of the ecosystem. We want to provide value to the ecosystem. One of our areas of defensibility we see is really, really focusing on the merchant relationship. Hmm. Right, is really solving the merchant's needs, sanitizing the data, working into a compliance, the cash register part, um, the inventory part. So one of our big, big focuses and one of our core products is the point of sale. So we don't just do the e-commerce layer. We, we run point of sale for a, a vast majority of the dispensaries right now in North America in the form of inventory compliance and the cash register. So if we could bridge that to the demand side, we see a win-win situation for all. So we don't want to close the doors off for anybody. 
We want people to come into the space and to really mature the space, to professionalize it, normalize it, and just bring more attention and a positive light to cannabis. Um, and we just want to play a part in that instead of own that outright. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Because as soon as one of those people come in, it's like they uh, they do something to the general consciousness that's just like, oh, oh, okay. Like it's now. It's okay. to, yes, exactly. Exactly. Right. And then and like that is happening, I think, already. But it just expedites things like so much more quickly. Do you like in terms of the company culture at Dutchie and like even just your interactions with like kind of the outside world? Because we're talking about stigma kind of fading away, you know, probably faster in the past couple of years than it has before, but slowly over time. But then there's also like just the general reputation of pot. That's just like people have this idea in their mind, even if they know better, even if they smoke pot all the time and are like, you know, out there functioning in high level <laughs> jobs. And so I'm curious about like, how do you shape the team and talk to the team about that kind of stuff? And how do you deal with it? Because I'm sure you get questions and in interviews and stuff like that. It's just like, how high are you? Right. You know, like, or whatever. And it's like kind of insulting, right? But like, I'm sure it still happens or am I just totally off base? You know, it's, it's, you're, you're definitely not off base. We see this as a motivation. We see this as a reason to continue to push forward to again, professionalize, normalize the space to kill the stigma. And that's one of our missions here, right? So uh, it's something that we do, we do deal with all the time. We shouldn't negate or dismiss it. We should see it though as not a, we should see it as an opportunity, as a motivation to keep pushing forward. And that's what we do. So we, we've done a lot of studies and not just Dutchie, but others that are, are really debunking the stigma, right? The stigma is a myth and it's, it's been debunked time and time again, and it will continue to be. There mm -hmm. are Olympic athletes that are coming out that are the most productive. Uh, you know, we've been bred to believe that cannabis makes us lazy, yet we have Olympic athletes that are outright winning more gold medals than anybody else and coming out saying, I consume cannabis. A lot of professional athletes, um, a lot of professionals in business. So I think there's been this huge momentum and this pendulum is starting to swing in favor of cannabis being a positive societal change to the world. There's health and wellness benefits. It does not necessarily make one lazy, unproductive. Um, it has no effect on IQ, things like that. And there's just going to continue to be more developments and studies that surface and show that. For us at Dutchie, we stay laser focused on what we're doing here and our business objective. And to provide safe and easy access to cannabis, to be that high performing team that delivers that value to our customer and our consumer. And we're just going to continue to do it. There's a bunch of fence sitters, though, out there. And we've talked a lot about this. There are the cannabis consumer, the aficionado, the person that's been consuming cannabis forever. And, you know, now it's just, all right, you can go into a dispensary. It's legal now. Or there's a tool like Dutchie you can, you can use to help facilitate that transaction. But there's a huge opportunity in the fence sitters. So something that we're really, really focused on at Dutchie for, for, for the industry as a whole, including consumers that have been on the platform before, but also those fence sitters, is when I say normalizing the space, I mean that in many different ways. We hit on this expectation that consumers have when just buying things, right? Buying a coffee is easy. You can pay with all types of payment methods. You can pay even with your phone. There's rewards and loyalty that can kick back. It's a safe, easy experience. We need to help provide that for the cannabis space. And that's where we're focused. So right now we're working on payment solutions. So it doesn't always have to be cash, which the industry has been built on. Uh, we're working on point of sale solutions that create this consistency and trustworthy experience that you get with using other like Square-like or Shopify or Toast-like systems. So we're going to continue to hit on that and to level up the technology and the products that the cannabis space has to offer for the consumer to see. 
what about on the team itself, right? Like, the, like when you're interviewing or in team culture, right? Like smoking, taking a smoke break and getting, you know, high in the middle of the workday. Like there are people who are completely functional doing that, right? Like, so is that a thing or does everybody on the team, like have, do they consume pot in some way, shape or form so they understand kind of like the market they're selling to or... How do, how do you do things like that? So a c- couple, couple things there to unpack. So one, no, it's definitely not a requirement to consume cannabis to be on the team at Dutchie. In fact, we love the diverse perspective that the team has of some that have never touched it, never will. Super valuable to have a full understanding of, of that, as well as, you know, the cannabis uh, consumer that's been consuming cannabis for quite some time now. So that diverse set of perspective works really well for an employee base, for an investor base, for a consumer base, for all. Um, so it's definitely not a requirement. We treat our culture like we would and have at other businesses outside of cannabis. There's no difference. Uh, we map to our business objectives. It's very objective. We look at the data. We, we take into effect, again, qualitative and quantitative feedback there from our employees and our employee base. Uh, self-reviews, manager reviews, peer reviews to make sure that we really all have clear goals and expectations that map up to the business objectives. And we're all hitting on those goals or exceeding those goals. So there is no difference here because we're in cannabis than we would have from a culture standpoint and how we run talent acquisition or talent management being in cannabis or not. It's very industry agnostic, I would say. But, uh, you know, one thing that I also throw out there is we've moved with the pandemic into this new world where culture has changed. A lot of companies are forced to be remote first. We always thought a lot of companies were built on the idea of like employees need to be in the office so I could see them to make sure that they're working well and not, you know, you know, messing around or, 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 or f-ing off. And the, the answer is that that's not the way of the world right now. That doesn't yield the best results I think we're finding. Right. Uh, I think we need to allow people to be in the right environment that produces the results. So, you know, we've all proven that with cannabis. Again, going back to Olympic athletes that are able to win a gold medal, be the best at what they do and still use cannabis, then cannabis isn't negatively affecting them. So if it's not harming somebody, it's not negatively affecting their work. I don't care if it's cannabis or something else. We shouldn't we shouldn't remove that from them. If it's, in fact, improving their work, then we should be all in favor if it's not harming anything else themselves or somebody around them. So we don't have we, we watch what's most important here which is the work that's getting done. Is it meeting your goals and expectations? That's mapping up to the business objectives. If it is, we don't care if you're wearing pajamas or clothes. We don't care if you're consuming cannabis or not. If you're at home or in the office, it's all good. We want to make sure that that environment is comfortable for our employees. And I think that this is not a Dutchy thing. This is a beautiful thing that we've watched this new, this new world kind of uh, take on with the pandemic. So uh, I think it's here to stay, which is an exciting new wave of culture. Um, and we're very much behind it. Yeah. I'm so excited you said that because I'm almost always in pajamas. Yes. Like, almost always. And the, the work product doesn't show. It doesn't show it, Jordan. Really. It doesn't show it yeah. in my work. No. If anything, it's probably helping. It's like you said. It's helpful <laughs> yes. to my work. Yeah. I'm so comfortable. <laughs> Ross, I do. I kind of want to, st- like, leaving aside even just the, the specific business or cannabis in general, like, I'm curious about... You know, you you mentioned your company before this, so it, it was Grub Canada, right? It was acquired by by Just Eat. But how did you get on the path to entrepreneurship to begin with? So what what was it that got you into it? A couple things. So one, back to when I was born, I was born into an entrepreneurial environment, a supportive environment. My father was still is an entrepreneur himself. He founded his own company forty years later, is still at the helm of it, running it, um, and he's found some success. And he really was the one that brought to me and my brother. And I'll mention my brother, Zach, is my co-founder here at Dutchie. He's our chief product officer. So Zach and I were were born into this environment where we had our father, who was uh, an entrepreneur himself. We looked up to him. And he really indirectly 
showed us that we can do anything we wanted to do. And we were more on the, he, he more instilled the practice of just to go forward and do. There's no success or failure necessarily in the beginning. Just mm. try it out and go take the next steps. It's funny. Now that I'm 34, I look back. There was a time when I was probably eight years old and my brother was 10. We had an idea. I won't steal it. It was my brother's idea. I was just there to <laughs> be the younger brother where I was like, to put a bottle opener on a neck of a beer bottle because he never had a bottle opener. And I don't know why a 10 year old knows this, but uh, he never had a <laughs> bottle opener on a six pack or something. And people were taking out lighters or looking for bottle openers and it could be a fun play. The next day, my dad said, Hey, that's great. Let's go meet a friend of mine. Who's a patent attorney that could help us think about the idea. At, an, at a young age, we didn't think anything of it. And the next right. day we're sitting there in front of a patent attorney. Now looking back as a 34 year old, looking back at, an eight and 10 year old sitting down with a patent attorney, like that's awesome. And that's a very rare situation. And little did we know at the time, what my dad was really showing, and I don't even know if he knew, was just to keep taking steps forward, just to keep going and to learn. And hey, we never went forward with that idea, but we never thought of it as a failure. Right. It's just an idea that we like, let's just keep going with it and see where it, you know, it's, it's, it's a really, it's a beautiful thing that he instilled in us just to keep going and that we were capable. I think that was the big thing. And then my mom was just this insanely supportive. I, we call her a cheerleader in the family. Um, and it's true. She just was so supportive. And the thing I've learned about my mom as I've gotten older and I'm a parent myself now, I have a 16 month old is my mom didn't take the same path we did. She was not an entrepreneur. And as somebody that dropped out of university and she was not the type to do that, as somebody that consumed cannabis and she was not the type to do that, or was, or somebody that was an entrepreneur and took that risk. Mm-hmm. And I put in air quotes risk because I don't know if it actually is a risk to take that first step, another conversation, but uh, <laughs> she was always supportive of our path, whatever way it was. And as a parent, I can see that being very difficult and I'm so grateful and indebted to her for just allowing us to be who we were, whether that was consuming cannabis taking risks or dropping out of university, all which clearly led to where I'm at today. Those three things. So yeah, yeah. Uh, we had that, that, that was ingrained in us from an early on age. And then the actual story is I was at Michigan State University and the idea of online food ordering came about. And there was a group of students at Penn State that were running a, an online food ordering uh, service that we partnered up with and launched online food ordering at our market. And that business started to scale university to university and later was acquired. Um, I learned the online food ordering business at that time in college and saw this huge opportunity, the sector that was getting ready to boom. It was very early on. This was like right. 2005, six, seven. Um, so I then moved to Canada in 2008 with a good friend of mine, Howard Migdal, um, who's still there today at the helm of Just Eat and Skip the Dishes. Nice. And we launched Grub Canada, which was Canada's first online food ordering service. We saw a proven business model that we had learned in the States and took it to an untapped market, Canada, and launched the first. And fortunately, we were able to scale that business across the country, built a great household name there and a great business. And then later in 2012, sold to Just Eat. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, like, it's interesting you mentioned that thing. And I do want to hear more about, like, well, taking the first step isn't a risk, right? I guess it's that iterative thing that you're talking about, right? Where it's like, at what point does the risk actually incur? And the first step is not probably the place where it happens, right? Like... Is that kind of what you meant or do you want to elaborate on that a bit more? hundred um, percent. Yeah. It's like when we look at risk, we should understand what is the risk, right? If there's no real downside to it, then I don't know how we're defining risk. Right. right? So right. if you have an idea to take one phone call, one step, meet with somebody, it's, uh, you know, an hour out of your day. If you, I don't know if that's that big of a risk, right? So, no. and, and, and we know that it's going to be a success because we're going to learn. Whether we do it or not, whether we go forward with it or not, we're going to learn, we're going to meet somebody, we're going to create a connection that could yield a different result down the road. 
So yeah, there's, there's definitely no risk to me um, or very minimal that we would have to really dive in to find. Uh, We're taking that next step. And uh, it's amazing what it leads to. You know, Uh, we hear these stories time and time again, but it's hard to tell ourselves that in the beginning of something. This goes outside of business too. This is with relationships, with friends, with trying new things, just go for it. Right. Uh, it, It typically doesn't, you know, really, really understand what your, that risk is. And if there is none, then why not? Well, I think people project forward, right? And that's the kind of the issue is that you foresee a time when there will be risk involved or when, you know, or you like, I think there, it's funny that you talk about like, what is the actual risk? Maybe the actual risk is like some minuscule uh, opportunity risk or whatever, right? It's like you did this one thing, you could have done this other thing and then butterfly wings flapping and maybe it causes an earthquake. But like, that's absurd to think about. But like people do think about, they project forward into like, well, but I mean, that would mean living a whole different life from what I'm living now. Like I can't put that risk up. Like that seems like immense, right? But it's like, but that's not now. Like the the thing now is not that. And, and like, that's a very interesting, it's, it's so interesting to me that that experience has taught you this one step forward thing. Cause I think, I don't know about Jordan, but like whenever I think about like a, a ambitious projects, I'm always like, okay, well like, yeah, but that's going to cost me X, Y, Z all the way back from like goal attained. Right. You know, I think what we're talking about is, is do we lead by a fear-based thought or are we optimistic? Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is an interesting, big thought we could expand on. There's two things that come to mind. Um, one, when we're children, we don't lead with fear. Right. We just take a step. And if we fall, we learn something. Again, being a parent of a 16-month-old, it's very apparent to me. Because <laughs> every step time, we take yeah. is like, you know, no, don't know where it's going to land. And if we fall, great. We get up and we wipe it off and we keep carrying on. And the day is great. The other thing is what I've, what I've you know, there's a great paper I've read about this and had many conversations with uh, like-minded folks around what makes an entrepreneur entrepreneurial. Mm. And we've, we've distilled the answer down to effectual reasoning. So it's the mindset. It's being able to go forward without knowing what's ahead because we can't speak to the environment that does not exist yet. And being able to reason based on the current environment and based on those effects, right? It's about having the right mindset and having the right tools and thought process. So when these things happen to us out there, we know how to iterate, we know how to react, we know how to approach them. We don't know which way we're going to turn. That's impossible. When I started this business, it was e-commerce. Now our main focus is point of sale and e-commerce and payment mm-hmm. and no more. We'll start to layer in many different products on top of that. When we look at any business, it's very rarely, especially in tech, it's very rare that the business ends as it did as it started, right? You know, they, they evolve in time and we learn from our customers. We learn from the current ecosystem and that environment. We learn from our employees, our teams, what's happening, what's working, what's not, what voids can we fill? So I I really come back to the mindset and it's being able to have that positive, not fear-based, optimistic Mm. mindset. Let's go out there and have a ball. Let's have fun. First of all, first and foremost, life is short. We usually find that out the hard way. If we can learn that while we're still here, as we start things, instead of as they end, I think we can give it all we got and have fun doing it, which will lead to better results. And if we have that positive, optimistic, open mindset, then we'll iterate quickly. We won't see things that come our way as stresses that cripple us. We'll see challenges as opportunities that'll spark creativity and the outcome will be beautiful. It'll be innovative. It'll be not only innovative and successful for the company, but for the customer or whoever's on the other end. So this is just a mindset thing. And I think that if we all map back in our life, if we're listening, and even I am right now, there are so many times in our life where this applies. It's not just business it's across the board. It's with all things. So yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. It's funny. Cause this podcast, I feel like becomes increasingly like an anti 
resume for me and maybe for Jordan. But like, well, Jordan's got a job at Dutchie. Jordan's going to be our um, <laughs> consumer. Her, oh yeah, that's right. Right. So she's tasked with uh, trying all products. And uh, gosh, that sounds so taxing. Yeah, but like, I I'm a desperate catastrophist, right? So that's my problem. It's <laughs> like my thought process upon going into anything is like, okay, so let's say this goes absolutely as poorly as it possibly can. How do I deal with the ramifications? <laughs> and then I try to like prepare in advance for that. And typically it's like, well, okay, pass, <laughs> pass on this. You know, what's interesting there though, if you stop right now and think back at all the failures you've had, you can't count them on, on a hand. You can't even count them. There's not, you don't remember them. <laughs> I have, the, I have a list here. I don't know if you know, <laughs> well enough to know. If you look back though, the failures are not what we remember as much um, because they're not typically failures. They were lessons and, and they were, they came and they went right. And, yeah. and, and we quickly transformed from them and evolved. So when we look back, we look at our successes. That's what we remember. Right. So, so it's also like, how do we quantify a failure? Does it matter to fail? Failure has just been depicted and deemed a negative, but I think if we change that, it would be a really interesting perspective and approach to have. Failure doesn't have to be a negative. I know like I always joked around and said, maybe it's not a joke, but the only mistake you can really make is making the same mistake twice. So if a mistake is a lesson, it wasn't a failure. Why do we, why do we look through this failure success lens? Why don't we just go out and do knowing that when we look back in time, it won't be deemed a failure. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. And it does. Uh, my, my method is not one I would recommend. I'm not saying people should go to that one, nor am I, nor am I arguing that it's logical and <laughs> it's something I'm working on, but like, yeah, I think, I think that's true. And it's like, kind of like the failure is essentially, it's like neutral, right? It's like, it's just background to your moments of success, which are like signal and like the one doesn't happen with the, without the other, but you're right. Like in reflection and in kind of like your everyday life, you don't really, it's not, the failures aren't there. It's the, there's sort of like the thing against which your successes stand out in stark relief. And that's, that's about all. Right. Yeah. And I can tell like, just from talking to you, like, you know, it's an infectious attitude to have as well, which is probably useful for, for the culture and for your role as a leader over at Dutchie, right? Yeah, it makes things more fun too. It breeds innovation yeah. and creativity, uh, gives everybody the chance to try and figure it out, be iterative, look at the data that comes back and make, make proper, you know, if you have the right decision framework, then it makes things a lot easier. Understanding the business objectives, understanding the data that comes back and to understand, is it a success or not? Right. How do I iterate to make it a success? Um, no, definitely. I think this is, you know, also at the end of the day, you said infectious. It's just more fun. It I is more that's fun. a big yeah. theme. You know, we mentioned <laughs> yeah. it already on the podcast. Let's just, if we could all find a way to just have more fun, nobody knocked that. Nobody can argue that having more fun is, is bad. Uh, no. And we know life is short. Careers are even shorter, right? We only have a few in a lifetime. So, you know, have fun in doing it. And, and a fear-led approach definitely does not yield the fun that, that an optimistic approach can have. Can we finish on a less optimistic note? What is your weakness, <laughs> Ross? Because we've talked about all the things you're so great at and good at. Like, is there is there a flaw in there somewhere? That, that, so it's a great question. I think we're all always here just improving, right? We all, humility is most important. Um, imposter syndrome is so real and it's at every level. Yeah, oftentimes we all question, no matter what level we're at, am I really doing this? Am I really the right person? And it's a really awesome, humbling feeling. I think I've led, I've been able to have this servant leadership type and been able to be blessed with a team that's far smarter than I am. 
especially in their respective categories. And I just lean and try and learn from them, support them in every which way I can. You know, it's definitely with this type trajectory with the team today, we're 500 people. We're just four years old. We're growing, doubling the team pretty much every year. It's super stressful. Business is just one side of the coin. There's a family at home that I care far more about than the business. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, I will be real. I spend more time on the business. So that's lopsided. Uh, You know, I have mentioned her twice now, Elle, my 16 month old, and I'm at the office right now. So, you know, those are natural weaknesses, but they're okay. I think that's okay. They're humbling. And and this is a net net positive. Right. But, uh, you know, again, it brings that humility and it's about balancing that. So always here to learn. And, you know, I, I sometimes stop myself and look back and realize how far I've come, but then realize how far I have to go and what's up ahead. Uh, so, you know, again, humbling, humbling, you know, approach to it. And that's the lens I look through and just I'm always excited to get a little bit better, a little bit smarter and have a better understanding of the people I work with and the tools and, and projects that we're working on. That was like the weakness question in a job interview and in that you turned it around entirely. Yeah. But kudos. I, I really like that you you said, you know, without question, without hesitation, I have family is much more important to me than the company, right? That is awesome to hear from some, especially from someone who is a CEO and co-founder of a company. And I think important to hear for an audience of entrepreneurs, right? It's like, never forget that. Well, and sounded genuine too. I don't think it always, I feel like it's like the party line for everyone should say that. And that's what they know that they should say, but you like don't feel it every time everyone says it. But I felt it when you said it. So it's, it's such an important topic. It's something we overlook. And I think that we can't perform our best anywhere, let alone the office, if we're not feeling good in our foundation, which is typically defined as our home and our home equals our family, right? Whether you're have a significant other or a kid or not, if you're not feeling good about yourself in your own environment, you can't come to the field, whether it's sports or the desk, whether it's business or whatever, and bring it, bring what you have. So for me, it's something that it, it, it's, it's really genuine. It's really important. It's often overlooked. It's a conversation I've note, found that I've been having a lot uh, as a new parent. It's very difficult to deal with. It's something we don't learn. I didn't go to university, but they don't teach it in university. They don't teach it in business. And it's something I ask my mentors and advisors all the time. Um, it's the hardest thing. It really, really is. It's how do you make sure that you're taking care of what's most important while taking care of your business, which is also very, very important. And not diluting that too much. Um, I don't think there's a silver bullet here. I think that there's just an ongoing practice uh, that we all have to work on. But I think my kind of what I've concluded is it's just something to appreciate and and find value in and not to dismiss or overlook. And I think that that happens a little bit too much. Yeah. Be aware of it and constantly calibrate. I think yep. that's the path forward for that. Yep. But yeah. And if you have the answer, let me know. I, I, I would love to. Uh, no. <laughs> We're not answer not people no. or like question people at best. Uh, but thank you, Ross, for coming and giving us some answers. Honestly, I think I feel a lot better than I did when we started this conversation. And I hope our listeners do? do too. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, it's don't. great. It was, oh, okay. Well, it was very, I feel like, uh, I feel like I have some optimism now. I have some, I can do away with my fatalism. This is great. I but. feel even more <laughs> inadequate, but whatever. <laughs> Uh, anyways, it was it was wonderful having you here, regardless of the outcome for our hosts here. But uh, Ross, thanks again for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate the conversation and the time together. All right, as promised, we're back to talk more about this conversation. 
Jordan, <laughs> what did she think conversation, about? A conversation, a post-conversation. Post -conversation. Everything works. you could want. Yeah, totally. Yeah. What did you think about our chat with Ross? I thought, you know, no, I'm the high one. No, I thought it was good. <laughs> I thought it was really interesting. I liked the conversation around like where cannabis is headed. I thought like the insight that there will likely be a couple big box players, but that there will always, it, I liked the comparison to Starbucks, right? Like Starbucks yeah. is on every corner, but it doesn't change the fact that there's like a little coffee room or whatever, you know, on Main Street. Yeah, they both can do well in the market, right? And they both exist yeah. side by side, yeah. I'm interested in that. I always find any industry that like starts fragmented, which most do, and then bundles and then unbundles and then bundles again and then unbundles, is, there's like a, interesting ebb and flow to that not necessarily as a consumer my wallet doesn't find it interesting but like as a mind i i find it interesting yeah, yeah and yeah and i liked his philosophy on like having fun too i think it's easy to skip over like it's a little jolly for my taste you know like yes it's pretty jolly but i mean i think it's good to do i try to remember to do this but i do it in like avoiding pain way right so like if someone comes to me and says like, oh, this happened, what should I do? And I go, okay, first of all, are you okay? And it's like, yeah, I'm okay. And then like move on to the next thing, whatever, professional concern, right? But I feel like it's a better question to ask like, okay, first, first things first, are you having fun? And then if they're like, no, I'm not having fun with this, I'll just be like, don't do it then. Don't do it. Yeah, let's quit. Let's <laughs> whatever you're on working that. on. <laughs> See, I feel like I was raised very much in the mindset that like, and you could argue that this was right or wrong, but it's who I am regardless, which is like, life isn't gonna be fair. Like sometimes shit's gonna be hard. Sometimes shit is going to be unfairly hard and mm. you just kind of deal with it. So I'm very like kind of protected against the idea that things should be fun at all, right? Right. right? It's like, like you, make you don't deserve your own fun, fun purposefully. <laughs> yeah, like where appropriate, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like. So the idea of like trying to infuse fun into everything doesn't come naturally to me. And I don't think it ever will. But I think that I could be a little bit more lenient in the way that I like throw fun into things, right? Like I think of so yeah. some things as like never fun. It doesn't mean that they couldn't be. Like I could try to make them more fun and that wouldn't hurt anybody, you know? Right, yeah. And, and I think like for him in particular and for the industry he's in like it's it makes a lot of sense when you think about and he always frames it as challenges too which is like you know another trait as opposed to i think i always say like isn't this a big problem or like doesn't this suck and then he's like well you know it was a challenge that we had to overcome it and it's an industry where you would quickly get demotivated right any regulated industry really because you're running into so many barriers but specifically and we talked a bit about the stigmatization like how much of a stigma is associated a pot and like you could easily bounce off that and just be like well this is never going to change like people are just going to think pot is bad for dirty potheads and who are lazy and that's never that's always going to be the case for a certain amount of the population but Ross is very much not that, and he even described stigma as motivating in the case of like what he's trying to do with Dutchie, which I thought was interesting and also a perspective you can only have if you take that approach of like, it's fun and let's go and let's have fun, right? I think it's just like for me, it's hard to believe that like anyone about anything could be that optimistic all the time right like mm. there's but you tried to get him off of it quite a while I and tried he was and not, it was not even a little flapping. bit 
No. Not even a little bit. I was like, do you have a weakness? And he was like, oh, well, I work real hard. And like, okay, great. Like, that sounds like a strength. But yeah, I mean, good for him. Like, I think yeah. that maybe it's just a little jealousy coming out because I'm not like that. And I know you're not. So. Hey, hey come on. Me? Hey, come on. Mr. <laughs> Positivity over there. Canada. <laughs> No, I freely admit it in the podcast that I'm a catastrophist. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I also have known you for 10 years. So, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Yeah. But no, I think he definitely comes by it naturally. And like he feels that way, honestly, about things, right? It's not, he's not just trying to convey to the outside world that this is how he feels. And it sounds like he's had it for a long time, thanks in part to like a really strong social support network and like his parents were very mm-hmm. supportive of all of his choices and i think that anecdote he told about his dad and just being like you know what you have ideas and not dismissing the ideas of kids but instead taking the actual very logical next step you would take if you were going to build that out into like a real full business kids too you know you have an idea and you're like what if we did this and then you know the average parent and this is not to criticize average parents but like would be like oh that's cute kid like all right. Yeah, so, you know. go draw a picture of it, maybe. Right. You know? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Meaningless. And 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 then you that sets the tone, right? Because now you know I'll have an idea and I'll go draw a picture of it, but I won't do anything. With it and I'll hide the picture away. <laughs> you have no. pictures all over your fridge, don't you? All kinds of yeah, wackadoo stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's like a really formative thing, right? And it leads naturally, like that. Ross would become that way, having that as his like formative experience right around entrepreneurship so i think that was pretty cool and it's clearly Um, paid off so yeah i mean i think it was a great conversation i'm sure all our listeners did too should they review us or something i mean step for them yeah they could probably do that and like go in there have fun i recommend that you have fun (laughs) reviewers when you do this yeah infuse it with fun and that means five stars because it'll make you feel good and us feel good and everybody feels good and that's that's a nice thing and to you do. feel good for making us feel good i mean it's a real virtuous cycle yeah and then of course what you want to do is then go to our listener survey and talk <laughs> about how good you feel and how good the show makes you actually i don't know the, the questions are not necessarily about your moods they're but. not really about how you feel but <laughs> but like you could i think there's fill in the blank parts so yeah you yeah, tell yeah. Us you how can you put feel. that in there in the comments part but just go to bit.ly slash found listener survey to do that so that's bitly bit.ly slash found listener survey and we'd really appreciate it if you could fill that out for us thanks again and we'll see you next time and we'll be having fun just like we always do so join us again found is hosted by myself TechCrunch news editor daryl etherington and TechCrunch managing editor jordan crook we are produced by ashad kulkarni and edited by grace mendenhall and maggie stamets is our associate producer TechCrunch's audio products are managed by henry pickovit our guest this week was ross lipson co-founder and ceo at dutchy You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and on Twitter at twitter.com slash found. You can also email us at found at techcrunch.com, and you can call us at 510-936-1618 and leave a voicemail. Also, we'd love if you could spare a few minutes to fill out our listener survey at bit.ly slash found listener survey. So that's bit.ly slash found listener survey. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week.